Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week we are having a special episode. Now that we have just finished our read-through of the Hunger Games trilogy, we want to talk about another property that engages with the Battle Royale formula with anti-capitalist undertones. Yeah. Or this is or not overtones. quite so, yeah, under. <laughs> uh, so we are talking about Squid Game today. Yes. It was just necessary because Squid Game is such a good show mm-hmm. and uh, it has some, obviously, similarities to the Hunger Games in some of the format, like the genre, the battle royale that it's in, but also does some different things. So, yeah. It'll be good conversation. Absolutely, yeah. So the first topic we want to talk about is the setting. Yes, so we do want to say, big disclaimer, we are not Korean. We don't have very much experience with the culture or anything. I've never been. Chris has only been for like a week, I Mm -hmm. think. So we're not experts on this. We have not studied Korean culture or history. Uh, Also... We will butcher their names. We are trying as hard as we possibly mm-hmm. can. We watched a little YouTube video trying to help <laughs> us pronounce it correctly, but we know we will fail. Mm-hmm. So we apologize. So with that said, yeah, it's really interesting because when you think about something like the first thing that really made this genre get big, Battle Royale, you have it in a Japanese context. Mm -hmm. And then you have something like The Hunger Games, which became huge, but that's in an American context. Not only American, it's definitely very global in in how it explores some of the themes uh, from the perspective of exploitation of the United States or Europe and things like that. And so... It's interesting now to go to another East Asian country, but it's not Japan, it's Korea, so there are some differences. Yes, and I think this coming out of South Korea is particularly interesting because South Korea is very different from the United States in that it is a more recent entrant into globalized capitalism. Mm-hmm. The United States was the forerunner of much of globalized capitalism certainly in the last hundred years or so, uh, in the post-World War II order. So it is very easy to engage with the U.S. as kind of this vision of capitalism's excesses. Korea has an interesting, distinct history, where it's an East Asian country that faced rapid development and westernization starting in the 1970s, and that even though it faced huge economic shocks in the 1990s and 2000s, Uh, And after the 2008 recession, it has emerged as one of the most robust and healthy economies in the world. So it's become... Quote, unquote, healthy. Right. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, healthy, probably not the best way. We'll we'll get into why it's not. Yeah. Um, But that's the thing, is that in entering this kind of capitalist economy, it also had its own unique histories. Many argue that it was actually a dictatorship in its early years in the 70s moving into capitalism and that it was these national pushes that came through dictatorship that allowed for those kinds of things to happen. So, like, it has its own histories there and... Foreign imperialism, the United States, its influence, and yeah. Yeah, so it's just, I think, got a, a very, very interesting 
history there. In fact, I read a piece by John Pfeffer in Foreign Policy and Focus, an online think tank. He argued that Squid Game was less of a narrative about Koreans competing with each other and more about Korea competing with other nation states for the whims of the powerful Western states. Hmm. Yeah, which I I think as we get into the VIPs, Mm -hmm. that could be a really interesting argument. Totally. Since the majority of the VIPs have an American accent and are white. Mm-hmm. I think that it's it's really interesting how for June, one of the biggest threats to his life is his daughter moving to the United States with her family. Mm. And this emigration out of Korea to the West, uh, you know, for, typically for better opportunity and so forth. So there is, I think, these issues of globalization that are at play here with Korea not in the same status as you see the United States uh, and Pan Am. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's so great that it has become such a big phenomenon squid game globally. Mm -hmm. I hope that people are watching it and considering the anti-capitalist elements of it and the exploitation that's going on because so often even as ugh right now all of this TikTok nonsense with some people trying to ban it in the United States and simply because it's owned by it's a Chinese, Chinese company. company yeah. yeah. I mean like oh they could have access to some of our data and it's like our own companies have that and sell it to random strangers too mm-hmm. and people aren't so scared about that and so some of the arguments that they're making and the way that they phrase them is very much just going back to this same like anti-communist rhetoric yeah and so it's it's kind of cool to see something that south korea and then, you know, there's North Korea yeah. and there is not, not that ah, everything is great in North Korea. That's not the situation. But seeing something that's based in South Korea that is anti-capitalist, uh, not that it is pro-communism necessarily, but that is critiquing this system that has made people so desperate because they can't get by mm-hmm. uh, for varying reasons. And capitalism is so unforgiving that one thing happens or you lose your job or this and and that's it, you yeah. know? And so, yeah, I think it's an interesting context just because uh, especially <laughs> I would think in the U.S. a lot of people would be like, yeah, if something's about South Korea, it's like, yeah, they're better than the communist mm-hmm. North Korea or something like that. But this doesn't do that. Yeah. Arguably, the person from North Korea is the best character. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite, probably. Mm -hmm. I also think something really interesting with the setting, which isn't completely interwoven into the story, but it does come up, is Christianity. Mm. Because it's one of the few, one of mainly two, Asian countries that is predominantly Christian. And you see that come up sometimes uh, with that one person who is so frustrating Mm -hmm. in the games that would stop and pray and thank God for showing 
him the way to the to the tempered glass spot through murdering another person you know things that are like so twisted and so problematic and frustrating in something that is so terrible Mm -hmm. and then you have finally when june gets out of the games and he's just dropped on the floor injured everything on the ground outside and the first person who comes up to him and helps to remove his blindfold is somebody who's on the streets with a sign, you know, preaching to whoever's walking by about people going to hell and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Which I think is actually really interesting. Uh, not that I agree with that sort of way of going about talking about your faith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and and the first thing he says to him is, believe in Jesus. Yeah. And that's not what's going to help June in the aftermath of this trauma mm-hmm. and the depression that he faces and everything. But it could be really interesting, this is coming from my own Christian background and studies, like, that, not that, that that's what this guy is doing, but the ideas... Like, Christianity would be so anti-capitalist, like, mm. if we're actually following Christianity and the accounts of Jesus and what he was calling for and how he was dismantling things and overturning things and uh, yelling at people who were exploiting people. So it's just, it's just kind of an interesting idea if true Christianity was followed. And mm-hmm. in, in, I would say in my opinion, but hey, I've studied this, so... <laughs> in undisputable facts. If these words that are on the page were followed, yeah, this whole system is what is destroying people and people... Not not that I believe in a hell or, or torment or whatever, but like if that existed, then... Yeah, it's these capitalists, these exploiters that would be going, right? And yeah. so I just think it's interesting because it's right after he says that that June almost vomits up the money. Mm. It's in his mouth, the 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 bank card. And so yeah, I don't know. It was just it was just an interesting idea that like money and the greed causing the inequalities is the biggest problem in, in Squid Game. So yeah, I just I, I I I have no idea what Korean Christians would think, but I I find it very interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, I, I had a slightly different read where for me it was the the fact that the man comes to June and proselytizes to him. Yeah. Instead of asking him how he's doing, is a critique uh, that these Christians are more worried about the afterlife than they are the actual oppression and issues that they're that are surrounding them oh absolutely i completely agree so i think what the guy was doing totally wrong yeah but i was just kind of struck when i was watching it that if they were actually following Mm -hmm. it would be a critique of the system yeah uh, that is oppressing people here and now yeah totally like what you were saying but i think it's really cool that they brought that element in because that is something that's very missing from the Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. Any religious values, philosophies. I mean, obviously the Hunger Games is far in the future and stuff like that. So if we ever got to a place where there wasn't organized religion in the country or whatnot, then 
yeah, it wouldn't be a factor, but in anything that I could really imagine, people's religious beliefs would be a factor in how they're playing these games or how they feel about them, how they interact with other players, mm -hmm. and obviously the guy in the games who is just being the worst. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I thought it was a really interesting element to bring in because that that's going to cause conflict or trouble in different ways. Totally. Uh, just individuals' beliefs. Mm -hmm. One thing that I found really interesting about the culture that I, I also tried to look up some things on was how June and apparently the other characters as well, many of them signed waivers of their physical rights, mm -hmm. um, actual contracts waiving that. And I saw some like Reddit threads and other kinds of places where people were kind of discussing this. And it sounds like this is something that is often used by organized crime and loan sharks in Korea. Interesting. That okay. isn't really a legal document, but mostly is basically a contract that allows them to work with doctors and surgeons at local hospitals to have organs removed. Mm. So it's, if you can't pay us back, we'll harvest your organs and use that as collateral instead. Which is what June would have signed with his blood at the beginning exactly from the signed, lone yeah. sharks. Yeah, totally. So that I think is an interesting element because that's not really something that is in the consciousness here in the United States mm -hmm. of your physical body becoming collateral um, in a widespread usage uh, in the same way that we see there. Um, though I think it obviously has really strong and powerful anti-capitalist messages um, that we could tie into labor in the United States and, mm. you know, other kinds of forced labor in particular. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was something that was another unique element that made me want to know more about that element of, of Korean culture. That mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at least that's something that in a Korean drama, the audience is expected to understand. Yeah, yeah, totally. Another thing that I wonder about is police representation. Mm. Uh, because here in the States and in a lot of places, police are very exploitative they are sanctioned state violence and they terrorize marginalized communities but i don't know if that's a similar situation in korea or not mm -hmm. and so just like having a member of the police force this detective be a quote-unquote good character you know be a one of the protagonists like who you hope that he gets away and he finds, yeah. you know, that he's able to do something. Um, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. And I think it's also a big difference between the Hunger Games and also Battle Royale where law enforcement, the military police, they are seen as negative things and they're seen as upholding the problematic systems mm. that are oppressing people. Uh, so, yeah, I just, I found that interesting yeah that is very very interesting well we should probably move into our next section where we want to talk about the game design this is like the hunger games a show that features games and killing games and so 
um, we want to talk a little bit about the kinds of designs that the show used and that the game makers used inside the show. Yeah, I think it it's a great way to start the show in the first episode where you see June's relationship with games. Mm. The fact that he is gambling. This is a game. Yeah. And it is based off of the labor of other creatures, horses, and that are put in danger, that are treated badly, and <laughs> gambling in and of itself, very risky. And then we also see when he does win money. Mm-hmm. And then it's stolen from him and he only has a little bit left. He uses it, instead of just buying a gift for his daughter, he plays the crane game to try to acquire a gift for her, Mm. which is wasting a bunch of money. And then to get something, he didn't even know what was in it. And it was that gun lighter. (laughs) So bad. But he played a game for it rather than just, buying it and then when he finally is approached by the man who's trying to recruit him for a squid game or for whatever they call their games he keeps getting slapped and slapped and slapped and slapped and keeps doing it and part of it is for the money that he has access to that he doesn't have any access to in any other way But when he finally wins, even though his cheek is completely red because he's been slapped so many times, like, he is so excited. Like, his elation, I think, is... Yeah, it's just a really striking way to start the series, showing the kind of elation, the joy, the fun people can have in games, even when there is a cost to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I I thought that was great framing. Yeah, and when you have a unhealthy relationship to games mm-hmm. um, and to chance uh, when you're already in a vulnerable situation. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we don't know that that he had an addiction to it. I don't know if he had an unhealthy relationship to games in that way rather than the only way he could ever make up the money to pay back the loan sharks would be something like gambling like that's the system that has been set up under capitalism like there's no way he can just work hard enough to make that kind of money back and so this is his best bet yeah i think it's a mixture of of them because i think that there is perhaps not an addiction but an unhealthy engagement with games that these are in some ways, the only things that are available to him, but also that he is willing to commit so much to them that he becomes Mm -hmm, mm short-sighted. And that he makes poor decisions, including, yeah, spending the 10 bucks on this crane game that has (laughs) no guarantee of actually giving him anything because he wants to only be able to spend $1 and get something good mm-hmm. when he could have just some, did something that was for sure going to be that. And I think it shows, too, the juxtaposition between his emotions and how invested he is in games. Mm. And and oftentimes we get that way, right? We're playing a game and everybody's talking louder and screaming because it's like you're invested and you're trying to win and, you know, it, it, can, it can be part of the fun, 
but juxtaposed to the VIPs that are just so, like, lounging around, Mm. not even fully paying attention. Like, they get mad when somebody dies that they bet on, but, like, that's about it. They don't really have much. Because they have so much money, there isn't investment, really. Yeah. And so it's it's purely spectatorship. Yeah. Which I think Ilnam brings up at the end, you find out that's why he decided to be in the games because there's nothing like doing it yourself rather than the kind of boredom of, okay, well, I've seen this for years now, uh, this kind of gruesome spectacle. So, yeah, I, I think it's... And it has an interesting kind of uh, narrative about games, too. Absolutely. And the fact that it's like the backdrop is these children's games once mm. they actually get into the games. And then you see blood and gore on the playground or whatever it is, you know, that it has like this cheerful, innocent, like, yay, <laughs> uh, setting for a horrific spectacle yeah absolutely and i think that's particularly interesting because you know comparing this to the hunger games obviously and and we did watch battle royale which if you're unfamiliar with was a 2001 movie based off of a book created in japan that really created this genre of a group of people is forced to kill each other until one survives Mm -hmm. um but for both battle royale and hunger games this is done to children Whereas Squid Game, it's done to adults, Mm -hmm. but then it, in a way, infantilizes them by having them play children's games in their competition. So, yeah, I think there's some interesting elements at play there for sure. Definitely. Yeah, which I think is really interesting, too, because in both Battle Royale and The Hunger Games, it is a future, it's a dystopian future. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas Squid Game is, this is happening now. And because of that, it's not a publicized thing. It's yeah. not, there's no camera crew. There's there's nothing about it. It's not a deterrent. It is purely because of the VIP's whims, their greed, their devaluing of human lives. Mm-hmm. And it's just a new novel way to take everything from the world mm-hmm. that they can. And so, yeah, I think that is, it's very different. It's its not to but, quote unquote, teach anyone a lesson, you know, mm-hmm. or, or uh, be a societal thing. It's purely for them, which I think is very fitting because they, they don't care about society. Yeah. Yeah. And by having it take place in the present day in secret. There's also the idea that I think the audience can take away, which is this could be happening. Mm -hmm. Like the excesses of capitalism and the inequalities that it creates have led this to be a believable situation. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sadly, it, it is possible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the design of the games that the the game makers, the VIPs, everyone who's involved kind of situ- situated up as. Because I think it's really interesting, too, how, like the Hunger Games, they build this arena. But, yeah, they have it be filled with 
when they are outside these fake skies, um, mm-hmm. or even when they're inside, uh, these ways of almost making it seem like it's their control over nature, which in the Hunger Games, they literally have. Mm-hmm. But there's constant use of things like classical music to yeah. make it seem like there's this air of sophistication to have yeah. these great songs by Mozart and things like that happening. And then the design of the contestants and the soldiers, I think, is also really fascinating. The soldiers are faceless, which can kind of represent how capitalism is faceless, how oftentimes when you are... It doesn't have Bezos face? (laughs) I mean, there's that. But yeah, like your own situation, how you're getting taxed, how inflation is affecting you. Like, it's not a single person, but this system Mm -hmm. that is, you know, much larger and that is inescapable and impossible to navigate like these corridors Mm -hmm. in the game center as well. And the guards, soldiers, whatever we want to call them, they also have a hierarchy to Mm -hmm. them and what actions that they have access to uh, even like speaking yeah yeah absolutely so the the privilege keeps going up and up and up and up mm-hmm. and all, obviously all of them have power over the contestants mm-hmm. i also found out something really interesting that the contestants wearing track suits itself is a important visual motif in korea mm. because track suits have become kind of synonymous in a lot of Korean productions for characters who are unemployed, going to convenience stores, you know, kind of mooching off of society or their parents or or what have you. Mm. These kinds of like loser characters wearing tracksuits. So yeah, just kind of an interesting element there. And I think for the game makers to make that the uniform for the contestants Mm -hmm. is highlighting how they are saying you are these losers you are these parasites of society um you are these negative stereotypes um which they then further dehumanize by only referring to them by their number Mm -hmm. and not their names which then is fascinating, the change that happens when it comes down to the final three. Mm-hmm. Because now they are given luxury. This fancy outfit and table setting and wine and a meal and the bloody meat it's cutting into. Mm-hmm. You know, like great, wonderful visuals for the series and, and what it's doing. But... The fact that, yeah, it's come down to the final three. And so now one of them is going to win and become more like one of us. Mm -hmm. Because now they're suddenly going to have all this money. And as we know, several people who win the games come back, or at least the front man did. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's interesting if they're trying to now change the narrative for the players that now you're going to have to start being like one of us. Yeah, but not one of us because they wear these tuxes that still have their they, numbers on They still on have the number, yep. And... <laughs> you're still beneath us. Yeah, exactly. But you're you're not what you were. And when June talks to them on the phone at the end of the series, they still refer to him as 
contestant four, five, six. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, that that dehumanization continues even for them as they win, but they have new privileges, new access to things. Um, but the phrasing is also very interesting because they said, I mean, obviously it's a translation, but it was that they wanted the VIPs wanted to express a token of gratitude mm-hmm. for the sacrifice and effort you finalists have shown and something about they're confident that you'll give a splendid performance in the final game. And so now it's the first time they're really talking directly to these quote unquote contestants and expressing anything positive towards them. Yeah. Uh, which is yeah also very interesting. Absolutely. Now you're given the respect of being addressed in a way that isn't just hurting you around. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're still hurting them around, but <laughs> with a touch more respect. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I also think it's great, I mean, terrible, <laughs> how it shows that the game makers chose to construct the games in a way that slowly built that each other were opponents mm-hmm. in the games themselves. Because at the beginning, it's everyone against this machine doll that's killing people. And then the next game, everybody on their own trying to cut the little sweet treat mm-hmm. out. Then you also have the tug of war. You know, it's like there are these teams, but then when one of them starts kills another one, you can do whatever you want, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's like, it's, it's almost making it, the contestants themselves change it. Mm -hmm. It, It's not true, right? Because they're giving them less food purposefully so that they're irritable and, you know, they're trying to foster the animosity between each other. But it almost makes it seem like the contestants themselves are starting the violence against each other. And then you get to Gonbu, and now, no, you're facing each other and you're killing each other. Uh, But it was like a more slow progression to get there. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really interesting, too, how that does exactly what you're saying. This kind of tries to put forward a narrative that they are each other's enemies and that they are at fault for the other's deaths. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, the best examples of this is the look in the hopscotch episode that the person who picked up the number one vest gives to Jiyun mm-hmm. who picked up number 16. Yeah. And Do what do we call a hopscotch? I, that's how I always thought of it. Oh, I don't know what the game actually is. <laughs> okay. The tempered glass one. Mm-hmm. Um, but that look for me really communicated this man wanting to say, can we trade back? Mm-hmm. And June thinking it's my fault. He's going to die. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. Yeah. June is not at fault for this man's death. The system that is putting them against each other is at fault for it. And the system that got them to agree to do these games in the first place is what's at fault. Exactly, yeah. But then you get to, like, the crime boss guy, and you understand why they think each other's their enemy, because he literally is killing people, not in 
any of the organized games, mm-hmm. you know, like it's just so bad. But yeah, I mean, it's it's still a false narrative, but it's very clear why it can seem that way, especially when you have like more vile people involved. Totally. But the fact that they call that the special game, yeah. I think, is really <laughs> illustrative. That so bad. It is still something that they are orchestrating. It is still part of the manipulation. Mm-hmm. It is still something that, sure, they are playing on the fact that some people are more aggressive and willing to kill and commit violence for their own benefit. But if they didn't have to do that, then that would be much, much lessened. Absolutely. Okay, well, we've been talking around this for a while, but we we had a whole section on exploitation and oppression. So what else did you want to talk about on those themes? Yeah, I I just, I love this show so much. (laughs) (laughs) Because it is the most anti-capitalist thing I think I've seen since the movie Sorry to Bother You, Mm, which is... A great movie, and y'all should go watch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's great. And if you've listened to our Hunger Games read-through, you are very well aware of how much we love talking about anti-capitalism mm-hmm. and the exploitation that is built into the structure of capitalism. And I think that this show does such a great job with kind of demonstrating a lot of different aspects of how... The capitalist system can negatively impact people in completely different ways, but that all bring them to a similar place. The very fact that it's debilitating debt that is bringing people to this, or like for Ali or Sebiak, like it's not debt as much as no access to money yeah that they need to be able to survive or get their brother out of a group home or, mm-hmm. or things like that and so i think it just does a really good job of setting up the debt that june's facing and what mm-hmm. that could mean for him these loan sharks are going to take a kidney from him next time yeah And that his mom can't get the medical care that she needs to survive because of money, because of a capitalist system that doesn't want to provide access to things Mm -hmm. for people who can't pay. So then when you get into these games, the fact that they place value on people's lives, that in converted to US dollars is around $76,000 per person, which is like, oh, $76,000, that's a lot of money. But like, if you think about it in terms of a person's life, like their entire life, that is what these billionaires are valuing people as. Uh, I mean, obviously, they don't value them as that. Mm -hmm. Like, Ilmam said, would you help that smelly human piece of trash? Like, this is what he actually thinks of these people. But in order to get people to agree to play these games, they have to play some sort of money on it, right? And so, yeah, just that idea of 
humans being worth a dollar amount is so corrupt but is so capitalist absolutely <laughs> that is yeah it's it's <laughs> a, a beautiful depiction of this horrendous thing yeah. in the world that yeah literally places a value on people's time and bodies mm-hmm. yeah i find it really illustrative that after the first episode, when a majority votes to disband the games, mm-hmm. uh, I forget who says this, but someone talks about how hell is the world outside, mm-hmm. where they have to work like a dog and have no hope to be able to provide for their families or to, to, to get out of debt or whatever it might be. And the second episode, which takes place entirely outside of the games, is titled Hell, mm-hmm. because that's where it's taking place for these people. Life is hell because of all of the ways that capitalism is destroying their lives. Exactly. Where they don't have access to health care or some would argue even work. Like mm-hmm. they don't have access to good work. It's just, uh, yeah, I think a very, very powerful statement. And we see lots of great examples of how outside the games they are taken advantage of you know ollie's story is one of the best examples of this he's Mm -hmm. worked for six months without getting paid yeah and he's somehow been able to survive for him and his family probably by working other jobs as well but if he hasn't gotten paid for six months at that job and he has no recourse probably because he's an immigrant because he doesn't have a lot of power in society that's going to negatively affect him yeah absolutely and that's another thing i love about this series is how intersectional it is Mm -hmm. because ollie as a undocumented person he is thus particularly and specifically exploited in a way that somebody who is not undocumented couldn't be in the same way Mm -hmm. and he's also given dangerous work because that's the only work that he has access to which injures him Mm -hmm. he lost fingers too and then the company doesn't give him any workers comp for that injury Mm -hmm. and so now he's been injured so that there are other jobs he now doesn't have access to even more so even other dangerous jobs because if you don't have both hands that you can use, it, there's the potential that you just wouldn't get hired at all. Yeah. Especially if you have to potentially jump through some hoops because of being undocumented. Because a lot of people try to take advantage of people who are undocumented and a lot of people look down on people who are undocumented. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it shows how impossible his circumstances are. And how he is very particularly disadvantaged in in that society and in a capitalist world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, still talking about intersectionality, uh, similarly for Sebiok, like, as a refugee. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if she's legally a refugee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though she, she should be. Should be, yeah. Mm-hmm. And how... It can take so much for people to flee countries that they're not safe in, even if they finally do get to another country that they're trying to, that doesn't mean that there are going to be any services for them, any opportunities 
and she's swindled mm-hmm. by people who are, oh, yeah, we will locate your mom and bring her. And, like, what else are you supposed to do? What other options do you have if you're trying to reunite? And, and I mean, her, her dad was killed in the process. Her yeah. brother is in an orphanage or group home. I'm not sure what they would call it. And trying to, yeah, get someone smuggled in. Like, it's just, it's all so complicated and it's also difficult. So you understand why this is her option. Yeah. And she has to resort to criminal ways of doing this because mm-hmm. there are no legal ways to immigrate. Yeah. And so that means that she, yeah, again, she's forced to rely on people who swindle her and, yeah. uh, and who see her uh, probably, especially as a young woman, as someone who's easily to take advantage of. Absolutely. And what was the name of the, the business? Wasn't there something about getting a North Korean wife. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it was mostly forgetting. Oh, yeah, I forget exactly what it was, but it was something about being able to order a bride or, or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Yeah, which is just a, another layer that's not even talked about, but like it's just shown very briefly. Yeah. And then you also have somebody like Jiyeon, who is previously incarcerated mm. for murder. What opportunities, what options is she going to have? Yeah. Hardly any. Mm-hmm. If any. Yeah. I mean... And again, murder, not a good thing, but at the same time, murdering your abusive father. Yeah. When you... your, your rapist who also killed your mother. Exactly. It's like, is completely understandable and... I don't judge her for it, even Mm -hmm. though it's like, yeah, not great to murder people, but like... If that was her only way out of that situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so how is she supposed to make any money? How is she supposed to live, survive, not also get, you know, be on the streets and abused further? You know, like, you understand why so many people are... (laughs) <laughs> in these games mm-hmm. that they quote unquote agree to. And I love that in the final conversation that Jihoon has with El Nam, <laughs> he's saying, You've forgotten. I never forced anyone to play the games. Yeah. And it's like, that is such a. <laughs> but you did mm-hmm. because you're a billionaire and. You are exploiting people to the point where this is their only option. Exactly. And so you are creating and upholding this system that makes people this desperate. And it's just trying to remove the responsibility, which I think most billionaires do, mm-hmm. that it's like, oh, it's not my fault. They just need to work harder. Or they could get another job or whatever it is. Even June himself that he lost his job because a corrupt capitalist system and the company in it wanted to fire him because they weren't making as much money as they would like to be. So with a very specific skill set, since he'd worked there for 10 years, mm-hmm. if you can't find another job in a factory like that, it might be difficult. And so he tried 
two different food enterprises trying to do something hopefully he likes more than whatever he was doing and he had to borrow money from loan sharks to do that and even borrowing money is a hierarchical intersectional thing where it's much easier for some people than others and i love the quote that he says Uh, when he was talking about them going on strike after they were trying to fire a bunch of people and his friend was killed. He said they were the ones that ruined the company, but they held us responsible. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a great line and so true that whenever it's, oh, things are harder for this business or they're not making as much money. Oh, we're in a recession. And then it's fire people. It's not make the top people in the company make less money because they don't need to be making a million dollars a year or mm-hmm. more or even $500,000 a year. Like, they don't need to be making that, but they would rather fire people who are making not very much money uh, so that the top can continue their exorbitant salaries. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really appreciate that as his backstory because in contrast with these other examples that we've seen of people who through circumstances are forced to engage in illegal commerce mm-hmm. uh, as the only way to make money yep. uh, he does all the right things he is a worker for 10 years at a company showing loyalty and hard work there he participates in union efforts, uh, working collectively to try to, you know, protect himself. He then becomes an entrepreneur trying to start his own businesses. Mm-hmm. He's doing things that are all legal, that are all part of these narratives of what is... The quote-unquote right way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it still fails him. Mm-hmm. That uh, strike that's featured in... His backstory is based off of a real strike that happened in 2009 mm. when a Korean car manufacturer named Sangyong laid off 2,500 workers. Mm. Um, and there was a weeks-long strike that occurred afterwards. I don't think anyone died from it, but people certainly were injured. Um, and in the resulting years, over 30 people died from suicide um, mm. afterwards. Um, some people were able to sue to get their jobs back, but most were not. And... Yeah. In capitalism, one of the few things that are afforded to workers as a way for them to have power are unions, are collective action. There's no possible way for a single employee to have anywhere near the amount of power as their employer Mm -hmm. to be able to negotiate on an even level, to actually have a equitable conversation. And so the employees' numbers are the only way that they can organize a way to have power that is near that of their employers. And when the police come in and crack down on those demonstrations, Mm -hmm. when the government sanctions violence against them, um, it takes away one of the few rights that workers have to actually try to get a livable lifestyle from their from their work Mm -hmm. yeah and that's also wonderfully uh juxtaposed to in these games when people are yelling about whether they're going to leave 
the games mm-hmm. or keep going that eventually the, the guards come in and shoot up into the air mm-hmm. and are saying we're not going to have any more uh, things that could restrict the democratic process mm-hmm. which is nice as a quote-unquote value but yeah then opposed to people going in taking bringing in police to break up unions it's like you don't care about a democratic process you just care about your profits exactly yeah sure okay they believe in in enforcing the democratic process here but they don't believe in enforcing the safety of people later on Mm -hmm. when they have their food stolen from them and then have someone murder them for calling them out about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hypocritical. And I would certainly argue that democracy is one of the mechanisms by which capitalists have exerted control by arguing that they don't have control, that they are not the ones who control society because everyone can vote and can do these (laughs) kinds of things. Um, But it certainly helps that capitalism also brings democracies that allow for lobbying and for money (laughs) to maintain much more power than votes. Uh, Everyone's equal. It's just some people are billionaires and other people are living on the streets. And these democracies are republics. They are places where you elect a representative and that representative is much more easily bought than (laughs) votes outside of that. Though they're free to do that too, as we in California know every time a proposition comes along (laughs) that it almost certainly has the backing of corporations that have been able to hire canvassers to get the number of signatures required and so forth. So yeah, it's, you know, democracy, I think democracy is good in, in its ideals and in what it can provide compared to many other forms of government, but it is short-sighted to think that the fact that most capitalist societies are democratic means that there is an equitable or fair system of governance. Yeah. Just because people vote doesn't mean you have a democratic society. Exactly. (laughs) And at least in the United States, not everyone can vote. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. People are also barred from that. But I think also talking about intersectionality, Songu is a great Mm. example of that as well, because he is the top, not of the economic sphere like the VIPs are, But he went to a great university and he was really successful in business until he wasn't. Mm -hmm. He was the privileged capitalist that took risks that he shouldn't have and he lost things. And he then put up his mother's shop. He is in there for incredibly different reasons than the reasons that most everyone else is in there for Mm -hmm. which i think is is great to add that nuance too because there are (laughs) a lot of people who they have been given so many opportunities then when it doesn't work out well for them they have a hard time taking responsibility or you know he he was going to kill himself rather than go to prison or Mm -hmm. whatever would be the consequences and even I think he has such a capitalist 
quote in the second to last episode, I think, after the tempered glass mm-hmm. game and June is upset that he killed this person who in until they turned the until the game makers turned the lights off, he he was helping them yeah. get get farther. And June was saying, we survived because that man could tell which glass was tempered and you killed him. And that's opposed to Songu's perspective, which he says, I'm alive because I worked my ass off. That's such a capitalist perspective. Absolutely. Like, it's not acknowledging the work and the labor that others have done that have led to your success, but you're just seeing yourself as a lone actor that is succeeding when you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's this entitlement that, mm-hmm. oh, I worked my ass off, so I should have successes that other people don't have. Mm-hmm. I should have access to other things. And yeah, he puts down... I don't have to down... feel guilty about mm-hmm. screwing someone else over. Yeah, and he puts down June for mm-hmm. screwing his own life up. Yeah. When, again, as we've talked about, it's not his fault. Sure, he doesn't have the academic intelligence that Song Wu brought, and he didn't have the personality of professionalism but if he held down a job for 10 years Mm -hmm. that's hard work at an auto manufacturer that's difficult work and yeah it's it's just i think a uh, a way of othering people and you know setting sangu up as the direct rival of jiyun in the games i think is really really fascinating um because in a way, he kind of embodies the idea of gre- greedy capitalism, mm-hmm. uh, right? The the Like we talked about, the soldiers are faceless. Even the front man, we only see without his mask at the very end, mm-hmm. and the contestants never do. But Song Wu is a face of someone who believes in that system and has taken part in that system and himself has made criminal errors in that system, but continues to feel that entitlement to mm-hmm. other people's labor, other people's bodies, and other people's lives. And yeah, he is different from the other contestants in that. But yeah, I, th- I think it's it, he is an essential character in anti-capitalist messaging because he is a part of the system and is upholding the system and wants to be privileged by the system and, and was for a time. Mm-hmm. But he's not the VIPs. He's not on that level because there are very few people who are on that level of rich greed. And we see so much more and understand more about Songwoo. So I think it it was a great choice to see how not just the filthy rich, but other people are upholding and believe in this system too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on that note, I want to talk a little bit more about the VIPs. (laughs) We want to, and we also really don't because they are so disgusting. (laughs) Yeah, they are just awful, 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 awful. They're the worst of the worst. But the ways that they're represented, I think, are also really illuminating and really interesting because the majority of them speak English Mm -hmm. throughout the games. 
uh, one of them speaks Mandarin, uh, at which another says, it sounds so romantic (laughs) when he says something in Mandarin, um, really highlighting the extent to which Western capitalism exotifies the rest Mm -hmm. of the world. And throughout, they are constantly entitled and dehumanizing a, of everyone around them. I'm a hard man to please. Exactly. Oh, my God. Uh, right? They, they worry that the host being missing means that their entertainment might be compromised. Mm-hmm. And they literally use people as scenery. Yeah. That, I mean... Ugh, it's so bad, but it's such a good element yeah. to put in there, which I think, in comparison to the Hunger Games, we don't see that side of the capital mm-hmm. people who are betting on these games and things like that. And so to see what they are doing and how horrible, disgusting, abominable they are, you know, that, the, yeah. There are naked, painted animal servants, which is the point. They're painted like animals. Mm-hmm. They're they're dehumanized. That are used as furniture yeah. and scenery and decoration and a boob headrest. <laughs> like it's just so horrible. But because also so good. Importantly, Ugh. they're all men. The VIPs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. the VIPs. I remember the first time I watched it, the thought process of, oh, that's tacky furniture. Oh, are those statues? Are those people? Of course they're people, <laughs> you know, because it is just so emblematic of what these men would do if they're outside of the laws of society. That they can literally do as they wish, and they do. And mm-hmm. that entails the yeah, the use of human furniture, which can't possibly be more effective than, than actual furniture. <laughs> Much less effective. Yeah, but that's not the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When, oh, the masks also, I think, are interesting because it's a way for them to have their own masks, but they're gilded. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they also don't hide anything, that these men know who each other are. This is much more about a symbolic hiding of identity or symbolic being able to do as they want without consequences uh, than it is an actual way of hiding their identity. I mean, it's it's a disgusting little club they're a part of, right? It's, It's fun. It's part of the fanfare. Ugh, that one guy just bet a million dollars on number 69 mm-hmm. just because of the number. Yeah. It's just, like, this is the type of money they have to throw around when a million dollars would have made June never go in exactly. to these games. You know, yeah. it's just like... Well, he even says ugh. when when he leaves the games that they're all there for because he's more interested in a... In raping someone? Yeah, a more personal kind of exploitation mm-hmm. and dehumanization that if he's satisfied, he will change the person's life. Mm-hmm. And it shows how cognizant they are that what is a pittance to them, what is five minutes of 
pleasure from the dehumanization of others and the exploitation of others is something that will be a life-changing event for someone else. But it's just a Tuesday for them. Yeah, I... There are some times, there are some people in the world, there are some characters that, like, test my pacifism because... <laughs> When I watched it the first time, I was just so disappointed that he didn't die. (laughs) The detective didn't kill him. I'm like, I know it's bad, but like, speaking of other levels of exploitation, uh, the people who are organ trafficking, Mm -hmm. taking the body parts, cutting them out of people who are dying from these games so that they can make more money. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that some of them took terms raping either someone who was almost dead or was dead. Yeah. Yeah, the misogyny, the organ trafficking, and organ trafficking does happen. Yeah. You know, it's just like these things do happen. And so I was really glad that they showed that too. And then when the detective killed one of those guys. I was like, oh no! <laughs> this killed the rapist organ trafficker. Yeah, these some of these characters really, really test my pacifism. Mm-hmm. I just want them gone. <laughs> it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's so bad. Yeah. Another thing that I, I think is really interesting that you kind of mentioned before, the music, often mm-hmm. classical music or different things. Well, in the first episode, and then it, it did go back to this later, but using the Fly Me to the Moon mm. song, and it was cutting between all of these people dying in the red light, green light, and the front man just sitting on his lavish couch surrounded by luxury with whiskey in his hand completely unaffected by what he's watching Mm -hmm. with this song playing and at least from my perspective having undertones of the connection between westernization and capitalism because they have gone hand in hand historically Mm -hmm. and when you have this height of luxury you're having these an American song. You know, you're having yeah. you're having Western music that is supposed to be the height of sophistication and like success, which is really sad, obviously, and racist, but not uncommon. Yeah. It's not like, oh, the CEOs, you know, when they get to the height, then they start wearing their traditional clothing again. You know, it's it's a suit, right? Yeah. Yeah. And when they are put in the tuxes and they have that fancy dinner. They have it with a Western style mm-hmm. place setting mm-hmm. with forks and knives yep. and salad forks and all those other kinds of yep. elements, not a traditional Korean meal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even that big, huge cut of steak is yeah. not the kind of thing that you would get in Korea. They have much thinner slices. Still, you know, a, a steak being important, but served in a very different way than mm-hmm. it served in the, in the United States and other Western And like countries. a roll of bread and, you know, just yeah. all of these. Yeah, it was a very Western meal. Totally. 
Yeah, another thing that I really liked was at the end, after June's out of the games, when he first is given the card that says where to meet and when and from your gambu, it's by this older woman who's selling flowers at night Mm -hmm. in the cold right before Christmas, you know? And it shows that it's not just the people who were in these games and desperate to that point, but yeah, there are a bunch of other people who are struggling out out in the world too. Yeah. Which I thought was great. And then in their conversation, you also have the entitlement mentality of capitalism coming through because Ilnam says you haven't used any of the money Mm -hmm. since you've gotten out and you won because of luck and hard work. You have the right to use the money. Yeah. (laughs) It's that entitled idea that you have the right to it, even if you got it through the death of other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And understanding that luck is a major determining factor. mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. that is an accurate view of capitalism, that it's not just hard work. But it always incorporates that idea of hard work, too. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that you have a right to it is because of luck, because of, you know, it's just a a wild way of looking at the world. Well, and also it, it it's a dismissive way, too, because it's, some people are just lucky. Yeah, yeah. And then the universe gave it to them or it was fated or whatever it is that takes the responsibility out for other people exactly not that um because then people aren't also responsible for some people just being unlucky (laughs) right (laughs) yeah and there is a randomness sometimes to fortunate situations Mm -hmm. and there's an arbitrariness sometimes but (laughs) most of the time it's it's inbuilt (laughs) yeah and And maintained the promulgation of that system is not luck it is choices Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and then i also loved in that conversation that june hasn't changed Mm -hmm. he's changed through trauma and depression but he hasn't abandoned his values and his perspectives Mm -hmm. on things because then Ilnam wants to play a game <laughs> again on somebody's life. Yeah. He says, well, what will you wager? If 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 you win, I'll answer your questions. But if I win, what, you know, what are you wagering? And June's just like, I'll wager anything. You can take anything from me you want. And that's true. Yeah. Like, he knows that that's the case. He still doesn't have power in this relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he probably thinks that he's still under surveillance, which he is, you know, and so it's just like, even with his approximate $35 million compared to Ilmam, yeah, Ilmam can do whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And just that that whole conversation taking place in an emptied out floor (laughs) of an office building that would cost millions of dollars to rent out, you know, and is just being used for a dramatic conversation it's just shows the excesses to which these people can mm-hmm. can utilize and as he's dying what he wants is to be in this office space in yeah. this 
super high up floor with private access as he looks down at the world. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Great setting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One other thing that for sure I want to touch on is uh, the idea of agency, Mm -hmm. um, which we talked a lot about in our Hunger Games read through. And so seeing that here in comparison, I think, is is really, really fascinating, especially with the fact that 174 of them, I think, chose to return, Mm -hmm. chose to come back to the games. And it reminded me of a book that I had recently read. Uh, called Fresh Fruit, Broken Bodies by Seth Holmes, which is all about migrant farm workers coming from Mexico into the United States, indigenous migrant farm workers. And in his first chapter, he engages with this idea of how people try to deter migrants from illegally crossing the border, which can be dangerous, can take people's lives, and with the idea of, you know, is it worth your life? He argues that because of the economic decimation of indigenous villages and of the lives of Mexican people, that they don't have a choice. That for them, it's too big of a risk not to Mm -hmm. partake in this because they won't be able to support themselves and their families. And They'll die if they stay. They might die if they go. Exactly. And that's so true for why the contestants agree to go back because for so many of them their lives are ruined through capitalism's excesses and going into this games is the only hope that they can see in getting out of that uh, even though obviously there's a risk of their death uh, mm-hmm. and a high risk of that but I, I think that the show does a great job of also having moments that Not only like that one, I think, are showing the limits of these people's agency, but also the ways they utilize their agency within those limits. Um, One of the best examples is when Han Mignon chooses to die in order to kill Jiaxu because he betrayed her and she told him that if he betrays her, she'll kill him. Mm -hmm. And she does that, sacrificing herself to do it and doing so with a smile on her face. (laughs) And... Such a fascinating character. Yeah, absolutely. A character who we've seen willing to put herself out there and do things that are shameful or embarrassing or uncomfortable in order to survive and still making the choice to also die according to her principles Mm -hmm. i think is just so fascinating and to choose her own way of dying yeah uh within this these games that are trying to force people to behave in very specific ways and she behaves in her own way (laughs) creating her own way for her to win in a game she knows she'll lose Mm -hmm. yeah exactly uh even if it's vengeful. <laughs> totally. So yeah, I think that that's, that's wonderful. Um, and then also Ji-Yoon's refusal to kill Songu at the end. Mm-hmm. That he is able to, to go home with all of that money. To kill someone who has killed other people remorselessly and who wanted to kill him. And he still says, no, let's quit. Let's go home. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And Songu's decision to try to restrict June and Sebyok's agency to quit the games before the end yeah. to save her life, because that's why he slits her throat, mm-hmm. right? He said, you would have voted to leave. Yeah. Yeah, he wants to restrict their agency in, in making that choice. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, but no, people people can't restrict the democratic process. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> As the guards wait outside with a box mm-hmm. to take her. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. But I think the fact that the VIPs don't understand why June would not take the money, would mm-hmm. agree to quit, would not finish the game is so illustrative of how they cannot even perceive of a different way of engaging with the world. Yeah. That why would you not crush anyone to win? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Jung is also a a great character to think about. Oh, agency yeah. Because her last decision to throw the game in order for Sebyok to survive and have the potential of winning Mm -hmm. in a life that has taken so much agency away from her starting with the abuse of her father Mm -hmm. and then being in prison which takes most of your agency away as well yeah she she chose to do what she wanted and to die how she wanted to die and to live how she wanted to live. Because mm-hmm. she said, I don't want to spend the last 30 minutes of my life playing a stupid game like mm-hmm. they want us to. Let's just hang out. Let's talk. Let's yeah. let's build a connection. Yeah, that I think is one of the most fascinating scenes, particularly because Sabiok has been so unwilling to open up to anyone mm-hmm. until then. Yet when it's a choice between doing, yeah, what the game makers want of them and what this other person is asking of her, she chooses to start opening up. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I just, uh, such a great, a great episode, such a great scene between them. Um, Such great queer overtones. I mean, absolutely. (laughs) I need to go find some fan fiction (laughs) (laughs) in a world where they escaped. (laughs) And then I think the show does a great job of ending with this highlighting of that agency, too, mm-hmm. where Jiyun says to the game makers, who are you to do these atrocities? Who are you to be able to treat people this way? And they tell him to get on the plane because it'll be better for him. They call him player 456 mm-hmm. and he doesn't get on the plane. He turns around and says that he's not a horse like the front man called him. He's not just a beast who is going to run around in circles for you to bet on and for you to exploit. He is his own person. Even if he doesn't have the same kind of power, he is not going to live his life the way that you tell him to. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's going to do so with flaming red hair. Yes, he is. (laughs) He certainly is. He has the agency to make bad choices, too. (laughs) It's so great, though. I'm just like, yes, of course, yeah. Jun, this is your choice. Totally. <laughs> we could uh, talk about 
anti-capitalism and exploitation and <laughs> all of the things forever. And I mean, if, we kind of already have. We are kind of already have. And if you want more, go listen to our Hunger Games read through <laughs> if you haven't yet. <laughs> or re-listen. That's fine. We'll take the downloads. Yeah. <laughs> But why don't we go into one of our final sections here that we wanted to talk about, which is messages or questions about the human condition, about philosophical ideas or concepts that are presented in this series. Yeah, well, one thing I think that's really fascinating after our read-through is the way that Jiyun serves as a representation of humanity. And the ways that his character contrasts with that of Katniss, because he is a very different character than Katniss, you know. <laughs> From that first smile, that yeah. his, his photo that was taken. Well, even before that, I think the first episode does such a great job of setting up who he is, because we see him stealing from his mom, going to the racetrack and betting, um, mm-hmm. doing these things that we've talked about, but also saying that they should just spend their money because they'll never pay off their debts. This mm-hmm. kind of hopelessness that he has. Yeah. Certainly not the defiance that, that Katniss has from the beginning. So we see him being immature and irresponsible in some ways, but also just trapped by capitalism. Um, he is the dad that his daughter has to take care of. Yeah. Not Katniss, who has to take care of her family. But even throughout all of this, he also is so clearly represented as a generous person and a caring person. Mm -hmm. He goes back when he's running from the debtors and he runs into Sabiok and he asks if she's okay. Yeah. When she literally was robbing him, even though he didn't know that at the time. (laughs) But when he's running for his life, he asks if someone is okay. He generously tips the person who... Was working at the horse races Mm -hmm. until he asked for it back. But at first he did. Exactly. (laughs) He tells Songu's mom to keep the change, even though he actually underpaid. Uh, <laughs> and he gives part of his fish to the kitty. I know. Aww, like, that, that was such a great example of his generosity. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I think that his character is really unique in that he's, even though he has been failed by the system and he is cynical about what hope there is for his ability to pay off his debts and things like that. Mm -hmm. He also continues to have good relationships with the people around him. He continues to live in community with the people around him in ways I think are really powerful. And for me, that kind of makes me think that kind of the core question about the human condition or the the core kind of message that the, the show is giving is that capitalism is dehumanizing and that's not capitalism that actually takes care of people it's community community is the only way that people can take care of each other um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that comes from the very beginning of jiyun walking sangwoo to, to school when they're young mm-hmm. this kind of act of generosity that connects them together um and sangwoo's mom at the end giving June mackerel and saying, check up on your mom. I haven't seen her in a couple days. Mm-hmm. Like, even when they're unable to be there for another, that's still going to be more reliable in allowing people to survive and be taken care of than 
the system that surrounds them. Mm-hmm. It is your relationships, the people around you, the community that you've made that help you. Uh, and yeah, I just think that that's a, a really great message. It's almost a kind of anarchist message uh, <laughs> of uh, the systems are not there for us. It's own, We can only be there for each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, or maybe a different way to think about it, too, could be that generosity is the only antidote to the greed of capitalism. Mm, yeah. That you have to create a generous system where everyone is valued, mm-hmm. even the cat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because a system can't save you, and you cannot use a system to survive because Jiyun wins but he has no joy or jubilation in winning Yeah, compared to the way that he responds to when he wins at the beginning of the, the show at the end he doesn't have that and it highlights how life's problems don't just go away because you have money especially if you have already experienced capitalist oppression that oppression cannot be erased mm-hmm and the fact that he goes home to his mother who's passed is a great example of that. Yeah. And the accumulation of wealth like that, whether it's generational or in his circumstances, like it all has come at the cost of people. Yeah. And it's impossible to get around that. And he realizes that. He understands it, and that's why he can't use it. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine he also doesn't have much use of it because his daughter's gone his mother's gone he's lost that community in so many ways and the community that he made in the game also is lost but i think it also shows how much depression he has because he didn't fulfill his i mean he didn't technically say the words that he promised but like his promise to sebyak that he would take care of her family he eventually did but he couldn't yeah. up until that point. He yeah. he wasn't at the place to even try. Absolutely. For for anyone else, and completely understandably. So, but it's not just winning the lottery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Suddenly you have all of this money. And not that the the money that was put into it doesn't come from exploitation, you know, when you live in a capitalist system. But he suddenly became rich. But yeah, it was it was through blood and pain and tears, mm-hmm. and that that's how yeah everyone's rich, but you just don't always see it as directly. Yeah, absolutely. Or you do, and you just don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think another really interesting part is the question that the husband asks before he kills himself. Uh, because the husband and wife were playing the marble yeah. game together. And obviously she died. And he wanted to stop the games. And people were like, no. <laughs> and it would be a waste of everybody's life if we did. And blah, blah, blah. But he's yelling at them. Like, How can you call yourselves human? Mm-hmm. And I just think that is an interesting question looking at at the series if if we're thinking about capitalism and exploitation and oppression of peoples for our own privileges yeah it's 
it's just a question that we should be asking ourselves. Like, what is human? What is... Uh, people often are like, oh, you only have to treat humans humanely. But, like, I think being humane says something about the humanity of the person doing the actions, not the victim of those actions. I think it's a an interesting question that they had this man say and that yeah, he could not live with the reality of yeah. what's happened and what he's been a part of. Mm-hmm. And then you have someone like the guy who had worked in a glass factory at a point in time and who didn't tell them anyone that he could tell the difference until it was his turn Mm -hmm. to to be at the front and yeah why didn't you say anything before well they were trying to kill me before so why should i help them uh it's it's a very transactional Mm -hmm. sort of ideology that if they don't help me i am not obligated to help them Mm -hmm. and helping them might be worse for me so i won't yeah and that's the ideology that the game makers have. It's all about competition and being the best and having a quote-unquote equal playing field. Oh my god, yes. We have to talk about that idea. <laughs> because that is just so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, I appreciate the supposed thought like yeah it's great to have an equal playing field but it does not exist yeah right they're ignoring the fact that it doesn't exist and they'll kill the doctor and say he got inside information and and we're sorry that it's compromised that all of you are on an equal playing field which is just so laughable on such a they, fallacy that they want to believe. Like, the game makers want to believe that they're creating an equal playing field that's more equal than outside what yeah. they have to be subject to. Yeah, they apolo- when they hang the organ farmers, they apologize for their subversion of the pure ideals of this world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just like, what are you talking no. about? It's just, it's, it's their... They think that they've inbuilt this into the games and Mm -hmm. that they're actually giving people an equal chance and a chance that they'd never have out there. But it's just so that they can feel like what they're doing is okay on some level, right? Or Mm -hmm. that maybe they could even delude themselves into thinking that they're benevolent in some way, they're a benefactor. But we see in the games how that is 100% not true Mm -hmm. because age affects size affects and 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 physical strength affects uh knowledge of the games affects ollie has never played any of these or maybe something like tug of war who knows but like it can significantly disadvantage you Mm -hmm. And, you know, he has missing fingers. Like, this is not an equal playing field. What are you talking about? And women are incredibly disadvantaged in it. Like, I think it's really sad that they have, like, oh, they're boy games and girl games. Yeah. But that being what the situation is, lo and behold, only the men who are choosing these games to be played choose 
games that the boys played when they mm-hmm. were kids. Why weren't there any of the quote-unquote girl games uh, that the women would have been more familiar with and then people don't want the women on their teams because they think they're not as strong and won't be as useful to win and so yeah this idea of equality is just such nonsense that only the privileged would think about equality in such a way (laughs) Mm -hmm. because people who are oppressed and people who are at the intersections of disadvantage and are aware of it know that if you just go for quote-unquote fairness, you're ignoring equity, which is the only way to actually have things meet an idea of equality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, very well placed (laughs) in the show. Totally. (laughs) And again, it highlights that the system of capitalism has ideals. Those ideals are wrong (laughs) and nonsensical, but it brings with it intentional understandings of misunderstandings, really, of the world <laughs> and attempts to... White landowning yeah, understandings. Exactly. Uh, attempts to craft the world in that way. But it's not just, oh, well, market forces just magically decide things. <laughs> well, that's just the free market doing its own thing. Yeah. Oh, neoliberalism. (laughs) My least favorite kind of liberalism. Well, this is quite a long episode, which as we were watching before doing this episode, we were like, okay, this is going to be probably one of our longest episodes Mm -hmm. because there's just too much there. There's just too much good stuff to talk about. Yeah. So ending this episode, uh, since we know that there is going to be another season made, we just kind of want to talk a little bit about things we're wondering about or questions we have kind of moving forward. Yeah, I definitely want to know about to what extent the front man believes in the pure ideals of the games. <laughs> uh, because if he won that much money, why is he still participating? Mm-hmm. And is it because he agrees with certain aspects of it? Is he in another way blackmailed by them or controlled by them? Mm-hmm. Um, all of that, I think, is is very interesting for him to be a mouthpiece, a front man for the games uh, after having lived through them. Does, yeah, does he see this as him having won through strength and luck and hard work? Or does he still see himself as a workhorse as well and... If he's going to be a workhorse, he's going to take as much luxuries from it as he can. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I hope that he's a character that gets a lot more engagement in next season, especially since he's one of the few characters who's still around. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Definitely. I'm very interested in his psychology mm-hmm. and his motivations and, and what they would do with his character for sure. Also, how he might be the same or change based on what happened with his brother, mm-hmm. and that he shot him. And, you know, we don't know if the policeman survived or not. Right. Uh, he shot him in his shoulder, not his heart, not his face. <laughs> so there still is the possibility that he survived. Totally. He could have survived even being shot if he could have swam to shore and hid or... 
there could even be the possibility that the front man couldn't show in front of the other guards. Mm. He was going to t- take his brother in and this is his brother and all of that. Yeah. But maybe, you know, they have that little boat. Maybe he went and got him after and is hiding him, you know? True. Who, who knows? It's it's possible. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious about that. Yeah. I'm also really curious about just what June's going to do. Totally. <laughs> he's not the most organized person. Like, he is smart. I, I don't think he's, like, an intellectual, but... There are many different forms of intelligence. Absolutely. He had, certainly has some. Yeah. And so I'm just very curious what he's planning to do and then what the game makers, what the people in charge who are surveilling him, what they feel they can do in retaliation. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very curious. But yes, overall, we really enjoy... I mean, enjoy is a hard word because it's so painful, but uh, we really appreciate Squid Game and how well it's done, how excellently the main characters act, how mm-hmm. the cinematography is done, like everything is just done very, very well. So it's great and terrible. Yes, exactly. Like society. <laughs> is it great? We're in it. <laughs> we can still have community. Uh-huh. Yes. Listener, you can't see, but I am waving my hands in a communal way of coming together. Uh-huh. How can we be generous <laughs> in uh, this terrible structure of, of society that uh, capitalism has set up, not just here in the United States, but globally as well? Yeah. That's a great question for us to end on. But with that, we are going to end. So thank you all so much for listening to this very long special episode. What are we doing next week? So we are starting our next series, but it's not a read-through. It is a watch-through, and we are going to be watching The Magicians. Yay! Yes. So it is currently on Netflix, and we are going to be going episode by episode. But we will be giving a recap at the beginning of each episode, so if if you want to binge or whatever, you'll still know what we're talking about. Or if you just want to watch season by season, we'll probably be pausing at the end, talking about the season, having online meetups with Mm -hmm. our patrons. And speaking of which, if you are our patrons or you want to become one of our patrons, we are currently taking a poll on what sort of perks you want as we move into this magician's watch through. Mm -hmm. And so we will be catering some of our extra content and, and our engagement to what our patrons want for this next series that we do. Yeah, I'm really excited. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek geek out. out!